there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. It's kind of hard to believe that this is the intro to episode 29. Didn't expect to do this many this quickly, but it's all good, and I'm pretty happy uh, that it is the case. No intention of uh, slowing down. Keep it, keep it rolling and lots more lined up over the next number of weeks and months. And this one is with a Canadian comedian. Evan Demeray is the, the gentleman's name. I uh, certainly butchered his uh, surname when we talked for the first time. Uh, not the best on pronunciations, especially when there's some uh, French uh, slant to it. But uh, it's Demeray. He's originally from Ottawa but uh, has been living in Toronto for a number of years. And again, like uh, last few guests, we connected on the powers of Instagram, chatted, and uh, he agreed to do the show. So first comedian I've interviewed. We have a really fun chat for over the hour mark again. Uh, we talk about Evan growing up, how he got into comedy. He was a model as a young kid. And being a comedian, uh, prepare yourself for some quite outrageous and funny stories anecdotes and uh, tales from his journey of being a comedian for the last 10 years evan actually is relocating to the uk and he has a gig in the edinburgh fringe festival which is kicking off uh, around now and the gig i think is on the uh, on tuesday night there sorry thursday night but he has a number of gigs over the next few weeks there so if you happen to be scottish or living in the uk and and going there check him out i would uh, highly recommend that and i wanted to get this show out just before that kicked off for evan just a shout out on a few other things i hit the 100 likes on the facebook page so we'll be picking a winner for that like i like i promised and, and a prize will be announced probably do something on instagram put it on facebook and Dolce's episode has been really well received a lot of new listeners across uh, across the globe on that one. Uh, Anna has a lot of following, as I said, and she certainly has had a, a good reaction from, from that show. If you're fond of the show and you like what you're hearing, I'd love if you subscribed. That helps boost the chart position, and that will mean more people will see it when they're scrolling down through the education charts or the overall charts to find their own favorite podcasts so if they see the one percent better podcast all the better also again san francisco seems to be the the hotbed for listenership at the minute would love to hear from some folks from san francisco if they like the show or what they like about it or if they had any questions i did say i was hoping to do a reflective episode episode 30 which is the next one up so i'm going to do that uh, might take a little bit of time to uh, put some content around that but if you have any ideas or questions you'd like to ask me i've got some in already which is great uh, i'm going to talk a bit about the journey so far things i've learned things i'm hoping to do in the the next while as well and i'm toying with doing some shorter episodes some maybe around the 20 25 minute mark as well as some of the you know continually do some of the longer ones continuing to play with it trying to find the best balance but it's always going to be a bit of a flexible dynamic uh, journey and podcast developing so far so i will leave it there enjoy the uh, episode with the comedian evan demaray and check him out online he also has a one of his shows recorded that we talk about it's on youtube and it's quite uh, quite funny so you get a get a good view of his uh, his whole stage presence so 
I'll leave it there again. Enjoy. Take it easy. Hey, folks, welcome to uh, another episode of the 1% Better podcast. And uh, this is a uh, first for the podcast. I kind of say that every episode because, it all, because it's still pretty new. In nearly every episode, there's a first. First time I'm interviewing a comedian and first time I'm interviewing somebody from Canada. So there's two, two firsts there. Um, it's Evan Demaray, um, which I butchered in, in the uh, pre show discussion uh but evan welcome thank you for coming on to the show oh thanks rob uh i'm glad to be canadian and a comedian yeah exactly so uh it's really broadening the reach of the show making it much more of a global um podcast uh so we connected on i think it was on instagram or um on twitter one of those social networks uh, a couple of months back i reached out to you saying would you be interested i know we played a bit of email tennis for a while but uh now we're, we're making it happen which is great um so evan give me a, give me a little bit of background or overview of who evan demaray is oh well look i i'm just a man in this world trying to make a living um i guess i am a stand-up comic started here in toronto well i did my first set in ottawa uh, i've been going at it for i don't know like eight ten years Depends on when you start it. Like for my first set, I guess it's been 11, but like when you take it seriously, it's been like eight. Uh, I've been touring internationally. I've been to Australia four times. I've been to Edinburgh. This is my third time coming up in August uh, and trying to move to the UK. Uh, I'm a cisgendered male. I, I don't know how specific we're getting. <laughs> Describe, explain that, sorry. Oh, have you guys not like cis, cisgendered? It means I don't, I'm a man who is straight. Okay. Okay. Well, I I think I think That's that like would have been. Has that replaced heterosexual at this stage, or is there something new? Oh yeah, yeah. But it's, it's more gender is just specific. your identity. like the normal. Okay. okay. Um. Actually, yeah, it's pretty much. I, to be honest, I don't really know. Uh, I but I, I I am woke. Have you just just on that something's triggered in my brain because I listen to obviously Joe Rogan and other guys um that do lots of bigger much better podcasts than this, but they had um. A guy, I think he's Canadian as well. Jordan, is it Jordan Peterson? Have you heard of Jordan Peterson? He's a lecturer, kind of controversial um, lecturer in, in some, I don't know if it's Canadian university, but they talked about the 70, 80 types of, of gender pronouns that are in, in existence now. Did you hear anything about that? Yeah, I actually, I watched that podcast too. Um, well, I watched part of it while I was doing other things. Yeah. Um. And they hated him because they were they did a protest where they wanted all the white people to leave, and he didn't want to leave. Is that mm. the one? Yeah, I think it was something like that. They, you know, he's been lecturing for a number of years in the college, and um, is it? I don't know. Maybe Duke University comes to mind. I don't know why, but um, huge protests. They were like cattle calling him. They, were, he had, they had to shut shut down the lecture. He went outside and started lecturing outside, kind of on a soapbox type thing. Um, really controversial but he has a hugely popular podcast now that really gets into esoteric stuff like religion i don't know lots of very interesting stuff but um that's i don't know your your, uh your description of your of your cisgender there uh triggered something there sorry (laughs) i don't i don't want to go off down that tangent just yet but uh thanks for that explanation um so, of course, we just jump right into it. <laughs> yeah, straight in, straight in. That's the way to do well, it. Also, God doesn't exist, and uh, we should all believe in aliens. 
Okay. Well, do do you believe in aliens? Do I believe in aliens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just joking, but <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Okay. Well, that's something else because one one uh, that's another thing we could talk about in a bit. One of my other guests that I had on, on Skype um, was a, a lady from uh, from the West Coast. She's originally French, actually, but uh, she lives in in LA now, and she's a, a clear a clear audience which is different to being a clairvoyant she's a, she can hear and see things um and she told me f- she did a fortune reading of me on the show and stuff like that quite interesting as well you know but we kind of delved into that that world um so again yeah. what's your thoughts on that world do you, you believe in all of that sort of stuff look uh i'm i have natural skepticisms towards it because you kind of have to hmm. but i also don't rule it out Right. You keep your because, like, uh, open. Oh yeah, you gotta leave the door open because because if you don't, then the ghosts are gonna come get you. Get you. <laughs> well, if you leave it open, they're definitely gonna come and get you for sure. Um, okay, cool. So well, I, I think I, I feel like most of it is just in your mind, right? It's all placebo effects. If you want something to be real, you can create it. Yeah. So it's the same with like spiritual healing, all that kind of stuff. There, there is something because I find the mind is powerful. Um, my mom and my stepfather are both yoga instructors, okay. which is like recent in the past couple of years, but they met 20 years ago teaching Reiki. Well, like they at a Reiki class, which is like that's healing with their hands. Like <laughs> they're OGs with all that weird spiritualness. Hmm. Cause now to be able to practice that, you have to have like a university diploma or something. Yeah, no, definitely. You have to do a number of years studying and exams and training before you can practice it. What, what, like 20 years ago, was it something they could just pick up a lot easier? Oh, my God, yeah. Like, they were, I don't know, they went to some basement and just started touching each other until they felt better. I don't know. I got plugged in. I was 12 years old. Me and my sister went to, like, I guess my parents' Reiki teacher's place, and she, like, danced around us and plugged us in. So Mm. now I do Reiki, I guess. I don't know. My Mm. sister's way more into it. Cool. So it's all ener- it's all it's all real energy around the body and stuff, isn't it? Oh yeah. Apparently, <laughs> when my uh, when my parents divorced, like my mom and my dad, my mom took me to some lady's basement and she uh, she had some boiling water and she boiled some metal mm. and she poured this the, the boiling metal into the water and it like cooled and then she she read the metal and I had to put it above my bed because then it would help with my anger towards the, the divorce. I don't know. Wow, I've heard of boiling metal before and the, the water and whatnot, but I didn't know it'd be linked to um, anger. I think in Ireland there's a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, old wives' tales or kind of these supposed um, amazing healing uh, tricks and stuff. And there's something linked to, um, to to boiling metal as well. But anyway, uh, let's get back to to you for for a little bit. Um, so when you were growing up, what was what was your in your in your mind? Was it were you naturally a funny person, kid growing up? Were you keen to to kind of get on stage and show off and stuff like that? Oh my god, I was a piece of shit. <laughs> I was a horrible kid. Hmm. Oh, I had such anger issues. I was a child model. I don't know why hmm. my parents ever did that to me. because uh, it just made me love myself and believe that the world was about me. <laughs> okay. Like as a child, I would like I so I grew up in Montreal till I was eight, and my mom would like drive me down the highway in Montreal and point to a billboard, and she's like, "Look, that's you," and I'm like, "Shit, that's me." God, it was you. So, you, like, what, what sort of ads and uh, 
advertisements were you working for? Child labor. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I got paid well enough, so don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, I paid my way through university when I was like eight. Cool. But was there, was it like obviously big brands that you were doing it for? Were you, were you aware of what you were doing and all that? Yeah, it was like department stores and stuff like that. So Zellers. Uh, do, you, do you guys have Mega Blocks? It's like the big Lego. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was the side of. Uh, I was on the side of the box of the Mega Blocks box. Okay. Which is a bit of a tongue twister, but yeah. <laughs> I have to look it up online uh, on on Google Images later to to see a picture of her. Uh, I'll use that as your episode picture, maybe when we put it up. Um, All right. And so you, a nice little mushroom cut. It's me when I had hair. <laughs> so that was you giving you that maybe uh status as as a as an 11 or 10 or 12 year old kid growing up it kind of inflated your your confidence and the ego did it oh my god even younger than that like i was like seven eight years old and of course it gave you such an ego and then i'd go to school i'd think everything was about me and then the truman show came out and then i'm like oh so this could be a reality mm-hmm. it just messed me up and then, like, I always wanted to be in the public eye. But then I got acne, and there was one there was one shoot that I really fucked up on, because right. uh, I was a it was a commercial, and I would have been paid a lot of money, but it was on a roof, and I had to share a milkshake with an old man, but it was like sharing the same straw. And I'm like, I don't want to like kiss this old man. And I was afraid of falling off the roof, so I complained and I didn't do it. Right. Like, I, how big of an ego does a child have to be like, I'm not sharing the straw with you, old man, you gross old man. I'm surprised they were actually, you know, th- that obviously would have some sort of hygiene implications that, you know, the the actual, uh, the set or the, the whoever was putting all that together didn't have a second straw or something. Yeah, it seems a bit, a bit odd, but... Um, yeah, it's supposed to be like he was my grandpa or something. Okay, so you were sharing things with your granddad, which would have been a nice scene. Was it? Were you drinking milk or something like that? Yeah, like a like a thick shake. Okay, like okay. Shake, which I love, mm. but not enough to share with an old man at that time. <laughs> uh, and did so you 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 backed out of that? Did you did you like throw a strap and run off off the set? Oh yeah, threw a huge hissy fit, got in the car. My parents were like, "Why?" And I'm like, "I don't want to." And I was like crying. I was I pulled a complete diva move, mm. and I think that was the end of my career. And that was at what about twelve or so? No, that was at like maybe like nine, like uh-huh. eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, but it because all my parents divorced when I was about eight. So then, like, I moved to Ottawa with my mom. Which basically ended my acting career, right? Yeah, just because Ottawa doesn't have a whole lot of uh, commercials being shot there, is it? No, 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 not a lot. Right. Uh-huh. I tried to do some modeling, but it didn't really work out. And then in school, I uh, I don't know. I just got involved with like theater and improv, and that was kind of my world. All through high school, I did improv, and like that's the best. A lot of stand-ups hate improv and a lot of improvisers hate stand-ups, but I just think it's all comedy. Everybody should kind of be involved in everything. Mm. On on improv, uh, when I was reading or listening to something about improv recently and they were, they were saying, you know, improv, <clears throat> there is a huge amount of structure to improv, that it's, it's, uh, it's not just completely randomness and um, letting it all fall into place. There's, there's kind of a, a pattern to it, I guess. Is there, would that be fair to say, or is there anything like that you would be able to talk about around improv? 
oh yeah, well it's the same as stand up, right? There is structure. There's kind of rules and games you can play, mm. and it's to set things up. Um, but then once you know those rules, you can kind of play around with it, right? Bend the rules, break the rules, but you kind of know how to put together a scene properly, right? Because right away in a scene, you want to be able to establish like who, what, and where. Because in your head, you might know exactly where you are, but the audience doesn't. So you have to get them exactly on board with where it is. And then from there, you can kind of exaggerate, elaborate. Hmm. I remember reading something as well, saying that when you're doing improv, the kind of <laughs> the thing that breaks the, uh, the, the it developing is if you if, if the one or the other person becomes kind of negative or, or, or kind of shuts down, kind of puts a, a negative response on, on a question almost asks a closed question rather than an open one um which which was interesting i suppose i hadn't given it much thought before i thought it was quite random but um so you're saying obviously the uh stand-up has lots of rules around around that as well there are right because you actually have to kind of tell jokes Mm. where like some people just go up and are funny i don't yeah i guess there's ways to do it right you there's there's little tricks with stand-up there's like pull back and reveal there's i don't know there, there's so many books out there that kind of go through every little way to get a laugh and, and it's it is very interesting because it is strangely structured and then once you watch enough stand-up comedy you can kind of tell where things are going right like, with the amount of comedy that i've watched and seen you can kind of like if you watch a comic who might not necessarily be the most unique, you can call their punchlines. Okay, we we get maybe more into the whole patterns and structure of that in a minute. But I guess as you were kind of growing up, you went to Ottawa. Were, were you considered the the joker in the class? And when you were growing up, with with uh, within school, within high school, I don't know because like I was on the improv team. I was like associating myself with drama, uh, and I'd go. It was one of those things where like I didn't have a lot of close friends. I just had a lot of kind of friends. Hmm. So I'd just run around and talk to everybody. I was on the yearbook, take a bunch of pictures. I was like Peter Parker, except without Spider-Man. Without the webs, obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. So when did you really start realizing, right, I want to try and do stand-up or do some sort of uh, comedy-type act? Well, mm, I always wanted to be an actor. And it was really like watching like old Jim Carrey movies. I say old. When I was watching them, that's when they came out. <laughs> He's Canadian as well, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So he's kind of like a little hero. Uh, a little hero. He's one of the goddamn biggest comedians in the world. Um, but yeah, I was watching those things that really made me want to do like comedic acting. And I did improv all through high school. I'm like, oh man, like I just want to do acting and this kind of stuff. And then in drama class, in my final year in high school, we actually did stand-up as one of like the chapters. So we got to do stand-up in class, and my teacher was like, oh, you should go actually try this. Right. So there was a student who was hanging out in the class who was there the year before, because it was one of those cool drama classes that, like, students from previous years would come, hang out, and if they had, like, pursued the arts, they'd give, like, little lectures. And one of them had tried stand-up. And he, like, took me outside of the class during school hours, and we called into Yuck Yucks. And like I, I booked myself on one of the shows on the amateur night, and I so, went out and did like later. So yuck 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 yucks is a. I don't know what yuck yucks is. Sorry. Ah, so sorry. Yuck yucks is 
the biggest comedy chain in Canada. Okay. They own probably 60%, if not more, of the comedy clubs in the country. All right, okay. And they were the ones who really started comedy in Canada. Right. You just weren't funny people before that? No. Okay. <laughs> well, it just it wasn't organized, right? They were the first people to start clubs. Right, right, right. And then expand it across the country. Okay, cool. So, so when you were in that drama class in high school, as you were... So you was it? Were you going through te- theory as well as kind of practical stuff, building up to doing that uh, stand up for stand up uh, show in, in in high school? I I guess it was a little bit of theory, but it was more like storytelling theory, kind of like kabuki theater and the origins of comedy, like that kind of boring stuff. Hmm. Um, and then basically, yeah, trying to do storytelling and turn it into jokes, kind of stuff. But then I never even thought that stand-up was ever going to be an option. I just I tried it, and then I was going to go into radio broadcasting because I was at the time co-oping at a radio station. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I can go on air and like still be successful in the city, go out to all these cool events. And then my mom was the one who found this program in Toronto called the Humber School of Comedy. Right. And it's a two-year college course for comedy. Yeah, it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you get to go to class every day to try and make people laugh. So that, talk me through some of like some of the experiences of that, you know, challenges you face, things you've learned d- during that two years. I presume you went through the two years? I did, I did. Uh, it's one of those things, it's one of those schools that after the first year, half of the students drop out. Right. Just because Because they just realize it's not for them? Is it too challenging or just? Yeah, it's not too challenging. It's just one of those things where they realize how hard it is to make it in this industry and how much competition there is and how little money you can make. (laughs) (laughs) And what what would you say you've kind of realized even that the first year, obviously getting past that when when the half the... uh after class fell away, did you start realizing in yourself that you were good at it, that you had, you know, resilience? Was there certain kind of traits, (coughs) excuse me, that you, you, uh, you saw in you or maybe even didn't realize at the time, but now you look back and say, Jesus, I was, I was pretty determined at that stage. Anything like that jump out? Oh God, I was dog shit. I was so bad. (laughs) Bad as in, as in, not in the uh, in the kind of cool sense of the word, but just bad at what you were doing? Oh, yeah. I was a dog shit stand-up comedian. Oh, I couldn't buy a laugh. Um, but I tried so hard. I had so much energy, and I would just tell these stupid sex stories and try and get people to laugh, and nothing was structured. Nothing was really a joke. I was really just – I was an improviser, and a sketch comedian just really wanted to do that. Like, I was good at improv. Like, that, that was my thing, but – but at that school, you realize that, first off, like improv and sketch isn't too prevalent in this city. And I never really, I didn't connect a lot with some of the people, like some of the sketch improvisers in my year. And it was kind of like, I don't know, it was upsetting because like I really thought that that was my thing, right? I thought improv was really going to take me to, I don't know, Saturday Night Live, stuff like that. 
But then I fell into stand-up because stand-up you can do by yourself. And in Toronto, it is an amazing gym. It is the perfect gym. You can go out and you can do shows two, three times, if not more, a night. So I just fell into that. I, I, I found a couple of the people who were going out every night and it became really this kind of brotherhood of like, well, like just a family of comedians and you'd go and you'd hit these mics and then you'd all travel home together and you'd talk about it. And if you guys bombed, everybody bombed. And, and it was really like, it was a fun thing. Hmm. And like for those gigs, you were writing your own material, you know, now you were moving from improv into to stand up. So, you know, the process that might be different around that, what sort of effort work did you have to put in to put those, you know, first routines together? Well, of course, it's all stuff that you write. So basically coming up with new material comes from life, just observations, what you see around you, what kind of comes at you. Um, sometimes you can sit down and just try and write jokes, but it never really truly connects as well, I find. right? It, it's so different. And the way people create their art, I find super fascinating. But what you find out is it is different, right? Everybody will tell you how they do it. And especially when you start off, everybody has their advice. But what, what you kind of have to do, it's okay. I used to work at a bowling alley, right? And, uh, I would work in the kitchen and I'd make nachos and we went through so many managers, right? We went through like eight managers this one summer, but each one of those managers had a different way to make nachos and they would sit me down and be like, this is how we're making the nachos now. Mm hmm. And I would learn from every one of those people on how they made those nachos. And by the end of it, I was picking and choosing what I loved from each of their teachings. And I made my own nachos. And I kind of feel like that's how I developed my standup. By learning from the people who came before me and who inspired me and kind of picking and choosing and growing and developing myself and building from there. Does that make sense? No, no, totally. Like, I, I guess when <laughs> when I kind of look at it from everything I've learned in my own career, from multitude of different managers, I've learned lots of things that they did really well, and I've learned certain things that I would never do from them. You know, so you kind of figure out your your own. You're you're a combination of a number of other people's uh, habits, I suppose, as you kind of apply them yourself. So, it totally makes sense. Um, you you mentioned in, influences and maybe mentors and, and, and people you were learning from around that time were you, you, you mentioned Jim Carrey, right? So I presume you were watching him on screen and watching his stand up and picking stuff from that. So I'd imagine that. Oh, was... no, no, no. I never really watched stand up growing up. All right. Okay. Uh, Jim Carrey, it was just his movies that really inspired me. Right. It was just his like general attitude and that he can get away with being that wild and silly on television. And I was more of a mad TV guy than I was an SNL guy. Uh, I only really got into stand-up once I started going to school, like mm. for at Humber. Right. And so but most of my main influences were local influences. Yeah, and, and then you said with the kind of the brotherhood that you were creating, you were probably all influencing and mentoring and helping each other as you were going through that process. So you would practice in front of those guys on a regular basis. Would would that help massively? Uh, yes and no. I think what everybody was doing was just getting their stage legs, to be honest. Right. And 
for me, like I, I was bad and it was, it was hard to get booked on shows. So I started my own shows. There was a while where I was running about like three shows a week under this like company, I heart jokes. And like, uh, some of the shows, well, I guess one of the shows is still going on today. So it's been like going for like almost five years, six years. And as you started to do more and more shows, did, did you develop a particular style or, you know, what, what you're known for, I guess, how quickly does that start to come? Well, the general rule of stand up is that you kind of develop your voice after 10 years of doing it. Right. Some come way quicker, some take way longer. Um, but I think what it really is, is you develop that comfort and you develop an acceptance of who you are. And you're able to kind of bring that on stage and the kind of stage fright goes away. Right. Because there's that. The difference between making your mates laugh and making people laugh in a room where people paid to go see you. Mm. Like, Jesus. Like that, when people like have to pay $15 and they're like, all right, I've, my, my dog just died. Make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. It's that extra like that, pressure. All right. Oh, so pressure. That's not just fucking telling jokes at the pub. Yeah. 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 But do you carry that? Like, so that's what one of the questions I wanted to get into. So it's interesting. So when you got up there, it doesn't sound to me like you're a fear. You have lots of fear in your life as you were growing up. It sounded like you were pretty happy-go-lucky and confident and not maybe give a shit what other people think that much. But when you started to build up your material for some of your first gigs, like was that playing on your mind massively as well? The, the kind of fear and the oh well, look when you're modeling, everybody's telling you how oh you're so perfect, you're great, smile, do this, do that. And you're like oh things are going well, but when mm. you go on stage and it's the material that you wrote, and you go up there and people don't laugh or they boo or or they heckle, it just tears you apart. Yeah. Like and the thing like when I was starting off, like you would tell jokes in some rooms and it would go well. Right, it would get laughs, and then you would tell the same exact jokes the same exact way in other rooms, and it wouldn't go over. Yeah, that like I remember walking home just bawling my face off, being like, "I don't, I don't get it, I don't understand." Like it makes you manic depressive. Fuck, and, and like, uh, and have you kind of figured out why that happens, or is that just always the way? It's always going to be the way that that certain crowds are different, or is it? Is there anything else under, underlying, do you think? Oh, no, it was just the mature, material I chose. Like, it, everybody's got different paths, right? Every, everything is super unique to everybody's story. Uh, as much as there are some kind of like, yeah, we all went through this kind of same thing. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, but, yeah, I know, like, that material didn't work in some rooms because it was just awkward and weird and... And it worked among younger people because it related more to them and older people don't relate to that kind of stuff as much. Mm. So could you go onto stage now and scan the audience very quickly in a flash and say, right, I know certain stuff that I can probably use here that would would work. And excuse me, and other things that uh, you might decide not to, to bring up or ha now that you have your, you know, your hour set or whatever, do you pretty much stick to that regardless? Uh. Well, I, I think in this industry right now is you constantly need to be turning over. So you're constantly working on new things and developing. And I think where I'm at right now is that 
I'm just going to do me. I do what I think works for me. And if there's an audience there, I'm playing to the people who are really going to enjoy me instead of playing to, oh, well, I hope everybody kind of likes me. Like, I would rather some people just not get it and other people really get it. But I think the more you do it, the more you understand how to make that the majority of people. Mm. And when you go up and you present, and I think one of the things we talked about on, on the show with other folks is just about presentation skills and how it's such a, you know, such a big fear for a lot of people just doing a presentation, never mind getting up and doing a, a sketch or, you know, stand-up comedy. Do, people talk about making eye contact with one person in the room and sticking with them the whole way through and or, or just fixating on something at the back of the room. Do you have any habits or, or ways that, that you manage that? Do you, do you kind of scan? Oh, that doesn't even make sense to me anymore when people are like, oh, I'm afraid to talk in public. I'm like, why? It's so easy. Yeah. Just go and you talk. I know, we're all able to talk, so it just, it's it's mad though, isn't it, the, the, the psychology behind it though, that how it does, how, how somebody can talk one-to-one -one perfectly, but you, you put five or ten people in a room and you change that dynamic where it's maybe one-way communication, it's it's so much more uh, frightful, I guess. Oh, like, I do remember that feeling, right? I remember that feeling when I was in school and I'd have to give a presentation, like in elementary school, and I'd get the butterflies, and, and, and I, I wouldn't know what to say. But it, it's like skydiving, right? If you've only skydived a couple times, yeah, you're still going to get afraid to jump out of the airplane. But if you've skydived thousands of times, it, it doesn't matter. You enjoy it. You have fun up there. You've done it so many times. You failed so many times that you know how to fail. Yeah. No. And, it and you realize it doesn't matter. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. But it's well just have fun. I guess a lesson there is uh, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, just keep going <laughs> for it. I'm, I'm trying to extract the odd lesson here as well, but it, it's obvious, you know, no matter what you do. Uh, people are afraid of certain things, but the more you do it, the, the better better you get at it, or the less fearful, I suppose, you, you get um, you get with it. Do, do you get uh, fearful of any type of show now, or does it come into play at all if you know if you have to big bigger venues, new venues, new material? Um, there was a yeah for sure. Uh, new material, not as a fearful because new material is more fun. It's more exciting. Because you get to like bring something new to it, and usually the first time you do new material is the best it ever goes. Until you finally perfect it, um, but yeah, like if you do anything where there's actual stakes, right? If there's like if there's television, if you're filming it and it's going to be something permanent instead of what stand up usually is of that impermanence of of it, it's just in the room, it's just now, it's just for us. But the second it gets filmed, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. Like when I filmed that thing in my bedroom, I was terrified. And I spent so much time trying to organize it and prepare it that I didn't even, ugh. Like, I, I barely even looked at my set, which then right as I was about to go on, I freaked out. This one you did a month ago? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we talked about that a little bit off uh, offline. So maybe just to bring folks on uh, up to speed and at the end certainly you want to give you get get some you know insight into how people can follow you and check you out but 
so you were <laughs> excuse me god this cough is fucking annoying me but uh so you were <laughs> you were in adelaide for uh, a show um and uh you ended up doing the show in your uh your apartment right well look i was in adelaide doing uh, a run at the fringe right so I, I had shows. Is it, is it a, a famous fringe in Adelaide? Is it like uh, comparable to to Edinburgh? It's just for for Australia fringe. Yeah, it's the second largest fringe in the world. So okay. Edinburgh's the biggest. Second one is Adelaide. It's the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. Excellent. So yeah, you were uh, you were there hoping to do a show. Well, I I was there and I did a run of my show, but at the end of the month I was booking a room specifically so I could videotape it and kind of just use it as a special type thing just because it's kind of been a while and then I could also use the audio make a cd try to pass it off to people yeah um basically so I can sell it while I was in Edinburgh but then I decided to just give it away for free on the internet just for exposure because you know it helps people find you Absolutely, and that's another reason why you're doing this, which is great. So thank you for again for uh, doing the podcast. Um, I, I watched the the, the show uh, as I said la- last night. I kind of scanned through it. I noticed you had you were you were giving yourself a hard time a lot of the way through it, I suppose. And uh, self would self deprecating be a fair a fair summation or kind of things like that you were talking about. Is that is that something you do regularly in your in your material? Uh, yeah. Sometimes I'll just break down. <laughs> I feel like it's maybe more neurotic, but I try and just be vulnerable a lot because I find that that's the best way to connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's your story. I guess it's it's personal and it's real, so it's not it's harder. It, you know, it's easier to talk about it in, in some ways. It's probably harder to bring it up as well in others. But that's really the kind of comedy that I like is that vulnerable honesty of like, this is my life. These are my stories. This is my opinions. This is truly who I am. And I find it resonates a bit more opposed to maybe, I don't know, like when I was younger, I'd try and put on this like brash persona of like, oh, this is who I am. Super ego, blah, blah, blah. But I think you really start to scratch new levels the deeper you go. Hmm. No, no, definitely. I think that's that would be if I was ever to do something like this, I would uh, probably go down that route as well. Um, I actually did. Chal- I, I kind of do challenges for myself, um, and I said it about a year ago that I'd love to try and do a five-minute stand-up at some point in the next couple of years. I, I need to kind of put a date on it just to kind of push myself more, more just of a challenge as opposed to trying to be any good at it or anything like that. But uh, I think if I did, it would certainly be a personal angle on it because it's easy to talk it's easy to talk about something that you, you kind of know intimately i suppose um Man, it's so weird because this is like one of the only professions where everybody's like oh yeah i could do it <laughs> like but but you they, as in they think they could do it but probably couldn't right oh very true but like i've had like the the past couple girls i've dated have been like oh i kind of want to try it and did they and then, uh yeah, my my last girlfriend definitely got on stage and she did it and I was super proud of her. She never did it again, but she went up and she put her money where her mouth was. Cool. Fair play. Yeah, no, that's uh like there's open mic nights in lots of places, right? So it's it's kind of it's it's inviting from that perspective that you can actually do it without having to I guess have an hour's material or half hour material. You can just get up for a few minutes and, and give it a give it a whirl, but um 
Yeah, I actually have yet to go to one of those to to see how 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 good or bad people are. But um, <laughs> you mentioned hecklers earlier on. It's probably a standard common enough question that uh, I'd like to maybe just ask about. How do you like? Are they commonplace? Is it something that happens a lot? Any particular uh, memories jump out when when that word comes up that you could talk about? Oh man, so many, <laughs> so. Many stories any good ones or bad ones that you could bring up maybe yeah yeah um last year when i was in uh adelaide <laughs> so when you when you set up your festival thing you you set up if um like who can come like if it's like oh only above 18 like if there should be parental guidance or if people um who are blind or deaf like that kind of thing are are they allowed to bring uh somebody for free with them to help accompany them yeah. So I said, yes. And lady came in and she was really into the show. And I was doing my comedy. And every time I would do a joke, she would just yell out like, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and she loved it. Like she was super into it. And like everybody was kind of getting uncomfortable with how much she was like talking and kind of interrupting. But it was super positive. And obviously – she had a person there to look after her. Right. And I made an offhanded joke being like, Oh, Hey, (laughs) if you keep interrupting like this, I'm going to have to invite you on stage to join me. Okay. So what does she do? She grabs her chair, comes on stage, puts it right next to me and sits down. (laughs) And now, because, like, you can't berate this lady. Everybody knows that she's not all there. Right. Did like, you, I'm not going to... You didn't... Did you realize at this point that, that that was happening or that she wasn't all there? Or was it a, a little bit later? Well, I knew from the from the hop, just based on the way she was interacting, just, like, yelling out, yeah, dude, what, right, ha-ha, that's great. Like, it, yeah, she definitely was suffering from some sort of either Asperger's or autism. And now she's sitting next to me on stage and I don't know how to do this, right? I can't be mean to her because then the whole audience is going to turn on me. Tough one. I know. So luckily I think like I thought quickly on my feet and I gave her like a three strike system. Okay. So I'm like, if you interrupt me three times, I'm going to have to send you back to your seat. Oh, cool. That's, that's smart. Oh my God. It was, I was so happy I came up with that because that happened right away. <laughs> it took her like two okay. seconds to interrupt and I'm like, all right, get the fuck back to your seat. <laughs> oh, God, that was a yeah, masterstroke. Well done on that. So, yeah, sometimes I guess these things happen. You think on your feet and it works out. So tell me about a time that it didn't maybe work out so good. Did uh, anything ever come to blows? Did you ever get into a, a kind of a slagging match with an audience member or anything? Uh, never got into a fight. Um, have I gotten into a fight? I've wanted. I've had people want to fight me after a show. Fuck! Like, why? What did you do so wrong to uh, to rile them up? Oh, just like handling a heckler. Um, a couple weeks ago, this guy was just—he was making racist jokes at a like an open mic. He was there with his Asian girlfriend, and he was just like talking negatively about like Asian stereotypes. And I'm like, like his girl was right there next door, uh, next to him. And, like, there was even a, a comic on stage who was Asian that he was, like, making fun of and saying he had a small dick and stuff. And I just went up and I 
tore him apart. I, I called his family, like members of the KKK, but I did it in such a beautiful way that the whole audience was dying. But like, he felt uncomfortable. Like I had his girlfriend laughing at him, which is the best way. That's the best way to dismantle a situation. But then when I got on stage, like you could tell he was fuming, but he had nothing to go back at me at. So then he started tackling the next comic and that comic couldn't handle it. And then he got so upset that he got up and he's like, "Ah!" and he started yelling at me being like, I'm not a racist. I'll prove it to you. I'll fight you. (laughs) Was this in Toronto? Yeah, this was in Toronto at the Cameron house. Um, I don't know. It was just a wild time. I I have stories in my show that I taped as well about um, just the worst show of my life in Edinburgh where I got heckled by an entire crowd and somebody peed in a cup and handed me the cup of pee, which is honestly the worst heckle if somebody hands you a cup of urine. Is that like some sort of uh, (laughs) poison chalice type? Is it like a metaphor? Is that, is it a, is there anything in the the comedic circles that if somebody in the audience gives you a cup of piss, uh, it's a sign of stop sort of thing? No, is there any symbolism behind it other than just it being bad? I don't know. We should, we should ask that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that, uh, <laughs> ask at the next time in, in uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, it's not a good sign, let me tell no, you. No, I, 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 yeah, probably not in most societies, not a good sign. Some maybe, but, uh, you know. It was, it was a group of like seven lads. Right, and right. And one of them handed to me, and I'm like, oh, fuck you guys. And I was going to pour it on them, and oh, then they were right. all like, if you fucking do it, we'll bash you. Right, right. And I'm like, you know what? The show's fucking over. Get out of here. Everybody just leave. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and did you actually, like, so has it, was it at a point where you just kind of, gave up halfway through or has that ever happened well that so that was my first year doing edinburgh right that was two years ago right in that in that 25 day span i did 125 shows wow 25 of which were my hour 25 of which were half an hour the rest were 10 minute sets this show where i got handed that cup of piss was my third last hour show right my voice had completely gone okay and i was I was in a yurt on the patio of the Free Sisters, which is just a busy, shitty sports pub patio. It was like a Friday night. Everybody was hammered. I'm exhausted. I have no voice, but I'm not going to cancel a show. This is my first year in Edinburgh. So I pushed through it. And there was a guy who brought three of his friends who was at the show the night before. And he came up to me after. He's like, this was the best show I saw all fringe. You're my new favorite comedian. So the night after he brought three of his friends and my voice was completely gone and everybody in the crowd was heckling and it was just insane. And I was trying to shut this woman up and it was just this drunk lady and she wouldn't leave. And I was like yelling at her and like fighting her. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. I can't like, I don't even have a voice. It's like you're beating up on a child. And she wouldn't leave, so I had to get the bouncers to kick her out. And then I tried to get the show going, and I finally got everybody back on my side. And then the pee thing happened, and that was about like forty minutes into the show. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. This get out of here. This the show's over. Yeah, you were near the end anyway. But look, as you said, it was uh, at the end of the 125 gigs. I suppose you would have felt pretty good at how 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 things were going at that stage. So it probably didn't tarnish it. Too much. Oh yeah, but I, oh, I was so ready to just snap. Yeah, it'd be worse if, like the, out of, if they threw the piss huh? on you. If they threw the cup of piss on you, it probably would have been a bit worse. So, like, at least they handed it to you 
that's probably more civilized. Well, what what had happened was uh, he didn't. The guy in the back, uh, he was sitting like three rows behind in the corner, and it looked like he was like like playing with his zipper. So I'm like, "What are you doing, man?" He's like, "Oh, sorry, I had to pee." And I thought like maybe he was getting antsy and he had to get up to go pee. But then his buddy's like, "Oh no, he actually peed." I'm like, "What?" And he reached around and he grabbed a it was like a double pint glass and he handed it to me and I thought it was beer, right? Like I thought the guy was joking, but when I touched it it was just super warm. 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 <laughs> the old warm glass, you know, you know when things are, are aren't good when the glass is quite warm, so yeah, I've, I've uh... Oh, well, and then the whole crowd started chanting chug chug oh, like and yeah that just was like okay fuck it um i can't yeah, I'm yeah, done. Yeah. oh very funny um so the edinburgh experience so you've done it two times already is this it's coming up to your third time now did you say yep yeah this is my third year and like you know not going down to the questions of like are you making a huge living out of this but like for those 125 shows are you kind of on a, a set fee before you go over and do that mount or do you get paid per gig or how does that sort of work well because i'm kind of self-producing um i'm making all the money off of my individual shows and then most of those spots are unpaid promo spots but then some of them some of the better spots that i get do make some money do make some pretty good money actually Good. And like you obviously pay for your your travel, your accommodation and all of that when you're touring, I suppose, do, do you? Yes, it all depends. For fringe festivals, yes, but when you get brought out to like clubs and stuff, it's usually they put you up. Okay, cool. No, or you save money by like staying with friends. You've done a lot of, uh, you know, you've been developing on stage. TV, you said you wanted to be an actor originally, so has that kind of acting bug still still there any ambition to do that or move more into the the tv movie world uh yeah eventually i've i've been kind of hoping to develop this thing to it gets to a point where i don't have to audition as much and i could just be asked to do things or i can just have the connections to be able to do it myself yeah and are like and it's it's, it's it is kind of difficult when i'm traveling so much that's right. why I want to kind of move to the UK and have a home base for a bit. Yeah, no, no, that's that's uh, that's interesting to see, you know, how that will develop. So your plan for the UK is go over in in three weeks, and then how how long do you think you might stay? And are you kind of developing a, a plan of of attack for a period of time around the the, the UK? Uh yeah. Yeah, but yeah. very loose plan, is it? I don't know. Like it, it is a bit of a loose plan because I just don't really know what to expect out there. Um, I am pushing the stand-up, but while I get out there, um, because I don't know anybody, it'll kind of cut off a lot of my social uh, circles, and I'll just be working. Because mm. like, when I'm out there outside of the festivals, I'll just kind of have – I'll be living off of this and just putting as much work in as possible, writing and touring and just, yeah, giving it my go. Cool. I kind of yeah. have like a full like year plan and like – I've tried a bunch of different like motivational techniques and stuff like that because you kind of have to. Whenever you work freelance, it's very tough mm. to stay organized. Yeah. So there's like little weird rules I've set for myself. Like I can't watch television or go on the computer after midnight. Um, I have these 
midnight Maybe. is still quite late but i guess i know i'm, I'm gonna like this is exactly the kind of questions i want to kind of get into so yeah talk to me a bit about your, your your plan and how you how maybe how you're setting yourself up for for goals and and you know um over well i don't necessarily want to get too specific into my plans yeah. but i'll talk kind of about how i do it yeah um yeah you, you basically like i do it with lists mm-hmm. so i set up like little to-do lists little things to accomplish because that's the that's the way my brain kind of works is that I need those things to kind of tick off because every time I tick one of those off, I feel like I've accomplished something. Mm, that's that's a uh, that's really interesting because uh, that's actually a hit of uh, dopamine. I think you're getting every time you've done that. It's uh, that's the 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 chemical or the hormone or something that's inside you when when you feel that little bit of I've done something. It's like when you get a text and somebody's texting you and says something good to you, you make feel feel better. So that's a uh, yeah, it's a good, it's definitely oh my a good God. technique. There you go. I could come off the likes on Instagram. Jesus. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> you feel good after that. So um, so you, you do the lists and you kind of tick things <laughs> off. Yeah. So I always have like a calendar. like an, And I can't do it on the internet. Like I actually have to have like a, a laid out calendar that I have like my next couple months planned. It helps me visualize where I'm going, what I have to do. And then it also gives me timelines and things I can work on. And you set little goals. So like by this time, I want this accomplished. And by that time, I want to be here doing that kind of thing. And, and it, it's hard because it's something I've been trying to teach myself over the past couple of years is to not think like weeks in ahead. You have to think like six months to a year in ahead, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Like two, three-year plans which are so tough. It's like playing chess. Yeah. Like I used to play chess, just like move by move, but you, you get better at it when you learn to play like three or four moves ahead. I got into the habit, I think 15 years ago, every every Christmas or so I would put down my goals for the year and things I wanted to achieve. And I think the actual habit of putting them down is, is the key thing. Not that you are going to hit them all or achieve them all. It's just actually to have something written down that keeps you focused on it. And, you know, it's so fucking hard to but think it, think beyond one year. But it shouldn't. It should. It should be way more than a year. Oh no, no, that's what I was like, going to say. Have, you like, can do your three to five year. Long. Yeah, you can actually. You can certainly plan it, and you can say, right, in three or five years' time, I'm going to be in your case. You know, have my one hour special on Netflix and acting in five movies or whatever. I think it's that kind of high level is perfect to kind of as your. And I know we use this in, in work kind of like a North Star or something to kind of really drive towards your vision. But um, you then kind of break it out into a thousand little pieces all, all along the way, you know. So, Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but setting such bland things like, oh, I'll be in five movies in a year is too – it's too e- – not easy, too too simple, like too too, too bland to because then there's nothing you can really accomplish you need to set really specific goals or at least for me for that's what works for me because if i say oh i'll be in five movies i'll just keep ignoring that one on my to-do list well, yeah there, there's a there's a I need to- yeah there's a goal technique called smart again business word it's kind of it stands for specific measurable achievable realistic and time-bound smart so typically when we set goals if you can you can put some specific 
time bound realistic achievable context around it then then it's uh easier to make to, to march towards and you know you can measure yourself so so that's the kind of stuff i was kind of thinking but yeah five movies is probably too generic uh, you want to get yeah. into more five i don't know comedy movies with x y and z actors and actresses or something <laughs> like that so yeah you can get more get more yeah. finite on that so time management productivity what, what would a, a typical day look like for you now i guess uh, evan or even as you kind of build up towards edinburgh what what do you what 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 sort of reps do you do during the day to get prepared for what's coming uh get up by 10 o'clock okay <laughs> lovely uh barbecue know, by 12 barbecue by 12 breakfast barbecue. Oh, yeah. it's kind of a lovely life i actually yeah. was a breakfast barbecue shit oh i live great um no i i was trying to get up at least by 10 shower uh kind of check through the news do a bit of reading uh sit in my window so watch people kind of like wake up then go grab a coffee at a cafe bring my laptop kind of do about an hour worth of maybe bookings like that kind of stuff just like messaging people organizing things um responding to social media stuff setting stuff up and then trying to work through writing just whether it be script-related, joke-related, just trying to put myself in a situation where I'm working, where it's a job. Whereas if you don't do that, like I find if I just stay at home, I don't get stuff accomplished as much. I really need to put myself in like an uncomfortable position. Is that a, a typical day routine, Monday to Friday? Would you, obviously when you're doing shows and stuff, you go later at night, does it throw the next day off? Oh, yeah. So, so, so at night, like, it, I do have another job. I, I bartend. So if I'm not bartending, I'll be out at a show. Uh, so I'll bike over to a show. I'll hop on there. I'll try and do another one. And then I'll come home. I'll usually record my sets. Um, just in case anything, like, great pops up, I have it recorded so I can kind of go over it. Uh, but most of the time, it's just, like, the same old things and you build on it. Uh, the best stuff, like, most of the stuff I've written has just been just walking. I find I get most of my ideas out just taking a stroll through the city. Hmm. Just kind of unplugging from my phone and like not wearing headphones, not listening to music, not listening to a podcast, just just like not flipping through social media, just going for a walk. The fresh air, just the, the being alone in your head, that's when like the real good stuff comes, hmm. I find. No, no, that's definitely so like, true so like that that my question around meditation is that your kind of meditation effectively yeah i've tried meditation and i can't really focus on it so i guess walking is my meditation yeah and you yeah you find a sense of uh getting in touch with your subconscious and ideas and stuff start to flow more naturally when you when you do that so that that would probably you know oh yeah connect well i've always been so hesitant I've always been so hesitant towards meditation because of my parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents like meditate with like mantras and shit every day. Like now when I go visit them, they're like, oh, sorry, I have to go do my 45 minute mantra. And they're just like in their bedroom, just like, oh. And like, <laughs> I know it sounds weird sounds in the bedroom. I wish you just went and fucked. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're doing. They're just, they have a kind of a different uh, noise coming out. So do do you do, do you look at them and do they seem happy? Do, does like 
are they fulfilled do, do you sense that they have this kind of in, inner peace with with all that stuff they do do you have any sense of oh my god are you kidding my mom and my stepfather are two of the most inspiring people you'll ever meet hmm. they're wonderful human beings they're so unbelievably supportive they are caring uh they're the kind of people that like if I introduce them to my friends, they're like, so what do you want to do in life? What, how are you accomplishing your goals? They're just super motivating and they love everyone. And they're just, oh, they're, they're beautiful human beings. And I'm so happy to have them in my life. Excellent. And, and but like, then it also like, you know how you kind of rebel against your parents? Where you're like, well, stop supporting me so much. I just, I'm going to self-destruct now. <laughs> yeah, you're looking for the, 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 uh, the negative in it somewhere, I guess. Was it like your mom? Obviously, you'd know your mom longer than your stepdad, I guess. Had had she always been in? You said she was into the recce, recce, but was have you noticed a change in her since she's became more and more into the yoga and the meditation that it has had a hugely positive effect on her and just interested in that sort of view? Yeah, 100%. Um, she's always been working on bettering herself, and it's one of the things she always taught me, and one of like the the best lessons I've ever learned is never stop learning and always, always teach people. So it, it's kind of like you're always climbing the ladder, but you're also helping people climb the ladder behind you because it's also the best way to learn because you don't truly understand and learn if you're not teaching. Absolutely. One million percent agree with that. Um, until you can get up and teach it, you don't really know it well enough anyway, you know, um, well, well, just question. Yeah, and it's one of those things where she, she's always been trying to improve herself and better herself and always learning and reading and, and expanding her mind when it comes to spirituality and when it comes to work. And recently this past year as like a 50, well, 59 tomorrow, uh, year old woman, she discovered this year she has uh, attention deficit disorder, right? Which is insane to find out at this age. Yeah, especially with somebody that meditates and kind of is in touch with the present moment, it would be even harder to be focused on the now if you're intention deficit deficit disorder, I'd imagine, you know? She but that's be... what she finds and she uses meditation to kind of keep that under control. Brilliant. Yeah, it must be must be a good uh, for you know, sounds like a great lady for sure. just on the question uh, Yeah, it, it... sorry, go on. Well, gonna... in the past, I've always tried to convince her to be like, oh, hey, you should try smoking pot, ma. And she's like, no, I can achieve that through meditation. Mm, I don't know about that. And um, now I've kind of stopped. <laughs> is that, is that, is, is pot legal in, in t Toronto? Oh, she's kind of legal, yeah. She, she, not yet, but everybody's, there's something unique in Toronto that you can't find basically anywhere else in the world is that we have about like 10 pot comedy clubs where you can smoke weed and go watch stand-up comedy. How, what's the loophole in the law there? Well, it'll be legal next year. Right. But it's the lounges have existed for people with medicinal purposes. Right. So because these lounges have existed, they always look for entertainment, right? They don't want to just be in a room and smoke a bunch of weed. So there's kind of been this speakeasy culture of like these are private members clubs and they have these like 
sometimes burlesque dancers, musicians, but it's been mostly comedians because it's such an easy, cheap form of entertainment and stoners love comedy, right? Yeah. Sounds sounds like they a, just love to laugh. And it's cool. just, yeah, it's been so symbiotic and perfect. And it's really grown some amazing pot comics. And yeah, one of my favorite rooms in the world is right here in Toronto, the Underground Comedy Club. Like Ari Shafir performs whenever he's in town. Like uh, Joe Rogan's played there maybe three times. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to see. I, I haven't been to Toronto, so it's definitely on uh, on, on my list of, of places. I'm conscious of time, Evan. Um, I know we talked for a few minutes before we started, so I just want to wrap things up because we said we'd keep it to the hour, or people just might not listen to a, either of us for any longer than that. Um, the que- just one thing you mentioned there that kind of struck me. You said about learning and and teaching. So w- would you see your stand up in any way being kind of a form of teaching? I like to think there are lessons within it um, in ways where I try and be socially aware. Like I have a joke about wanting to suck a dick, which was like, (laughs) I heard, I heard, I I listened to that one last night actually. And I was like, okay, go on. You can go into tell, tell what you need to tell there. I'm is, this is a uncensored. So it's all good. Well, I, I think it's one of those things. Like, I loved doing that joke in Australia because they still haven't legalized gay marriage. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, I feel people have had that thought. People have always been curious and nobody talks about it. And I feel what it was is I, I did a show in Australia called, like, uh, Secrets or something like that. And that's where that bit came from. It was just like, oh, it came up and I just talked about it. And a guy came up to me after the show and he was like, he was standing with his wife and he was like, look, thank you for talking about that because I've thought the same thing. And it made me feel more comfortable with myself. So he thought what? Just and, sorry, just to, to, to detail on that. Well, just that somebody else had the thought of like, oh, I thought about wanting to suck a dick. <laughs> right, sorry. yeah, that, okay. And he had that same thought, right? Because there's a big like broy masculine culture in Australia and for him he found it relieving that there was somebody else who had that same thought mm. and it doesn't mean he's gay mm. it doesn't mean anything along those lines it's just even the fact that he had that thought yeah yeah and i found i found something in that of like by me being vulnerable it's actually being strong yeah absolutely it, well, it helps yeah. empower well, yeah like yeah vulnerability is is so rare I, and you know i think as long as you're being vulnerable with authenticity and it's genuine, you know, then it certainly connects with people, I think. So, so that's definitely a, a great thing to do. So, well, that's why like some of my favorite comedians right now, the people who I really look up to and love are people like Mike Birbiglia and Chris Gethard. And what's their style or what they're, are they quite vulnerable to talk about life stories as well? Any any really tough decisions stand out that you've had to make over the last number of years? Um, did they work out? What did you learn from them? Well, my biggest decision was I was in Toronto and I felt I was in this shitty routine of working in a bar, going, doing open mics and kind of doing the, getting drunk and kind of doing that same thing over and over again. And I, I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. I, I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything. Uh, I just felt like I was in the same kind of rut. And then 
I pushed myself to go to Australia and put on an hour-long show that I'd never done before in my life. Cool. And I was terrified. I'd, I'd never traveled that far by myself before. I had no idea what to expect. I, 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 I didn't know anything. Mm. And I learned so much and I gained so much valuable experience. And I keep going back because it just it's the best time in the world. I, I, I've always wanted to travel and it's fulfilled that it's fulfilled the amount of stage time I want to be able to connect with a crowd, being able to put on an hour long show and connect with an audience for that long is such, such like a good feeling. I don't know. No, absolutely. Yeah. And like it was, you know, before you decided to do that, to get out of that cycle you were in, what were those things that were holding you back that were, that mightn't have actually came to be, you know, we worry about so much stuff that like, Oh, if I do this, what happens if, you know, you're worrying about all the eventualities that, typically most of them never come to pass what were the things kind of potentially blocking you or that voice in your head saying no evan don't do this no, it's fucking crazy anything that jump out there uh i'm like a big old idiot so sometimes i just don't think i don't think i don't think things through okay um so i i won't even think about the negative i'll just be like oh this is something i want to do i'll go do it <laughs> like, like a child with add oh, um good way to be sometimes because it's sometimes it's the only way you have to be. Yeah. Because if you focus on the negative, that is what will hold you back. Like I turned 30 in February and like, it's scary. It's scary being at this age and watching all your friends. Like I have some good friends who were like terrific musicians who have all sold out and gotten like proper jobs and careers and they can afford a house and they have kids and they're getting married. And I'm like, I just had a barbecue at 12 o'clock on a Friday for breakfast. Yeah, look, don't feel bad about that. Uh, I'm nearly 40, and uh, no. that, that would have been a nice thing to do today rather than spend spend it all day in the office. But <laughs> Exactly, but you know what? Like, I don't mind. I love my life. I, I really enjoy it. And it's about trying to take it to the next level and make it more worthwhile because right now I'm still working in a bar, and that's what the trip – that's what moving to the UK is supposed to be. It's supposed to – take away that dependence and just do comedy you can't i suppose you, if you look back on and question yourself saying evan did i do this and did I, you know you, you seem to get outside your comfort zone you challenge yourself so do you have any things you look back on or, or are saying no i need to actually work better on this one thing or another thing that you feel you're you're not tackling or addressing well, I'm my own biggest critic, and I always feel like I should be working harder on everything. Mm. And it's, I think it's a healthy thing to think you should always be working harder on everything because, yeah, because you should be. <laughs> you're not going to accomplish anything if you're not pushing yourself to work harder. Yeah. No, no, definitely. It's it's definitely a healthy healthy thing to be of uh, critical, but not to the point where it's, it's you know, becoming a overtaking you and making you down or depressed or pissed off too much you know so motivating as opposed to that's also also why i like to set deadlines for myself like i'm doing the edinburgh fringe i need to make sure i'm fucking ready for it yeah 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 yeah. right it's kind of like homework when you do homework most people leave it to the night before last two questions i normally ask people steal these questions from others but is there a, a favorite like book or a book that you would recommend somebody to read about maybe about comedy if they were interested in learning a bit about 
comedy is there any one that stands out that uh could be a good read i guess for comedy there's a lot of great books like uh what's it still standing by um ah oh, fuck it what's his name not bill murray not chevy chase steve martin steve martin's book is a beautiful book mm. um right now i'm reading a book called why is that so funny that it was recommended to me by an australian comedian and it's great it talks more about um kind of like physical comedy, less stand-up, more like theater comedy. And it goes through like all the different styles, why it's funny, and like hmm. it gives you a bunch of exercises as well. Okay. So it's a great book to like teach a class on like Excellent. comedy. Why is that so funny is the name of that one, is it? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's called Why Is That So Funny? Um, it's written by um, John Wright. John Wright, cool. Okay, I'll put a link to that in the uh, in the notes of the the show. If you were to pick out your favorite stand up show ever, you know, is there any one that uh, that jumps out that you'd uh, maybe recommend? Like my favorite stand up, like comedian or like bit or whatever. Yeah, like a show. So like you know, jo- like a lot of people would say, Richard Pryor was the best stand up show in nineteen eighty four or whatever. Any any one that you've ever watched over and over, they said, is it the funniest one you've seen? Jim Jeffries is one. Like I like dark comedy. Uh, Jim Jeffries is one of my favorites. He's just so elegant with the wording. Like my ideal comic would be a mixture between like Jim Jeffries and Russell Brand. Okay. They're very two different kind of people, but they're. I feel like they represent like two of the sides of the stuff I love. Um, but if yeah, Jim Jeffries' gun control bit is phenomenal. Burt Kreischer's bit uh, called The Machine, like that story, is amazing. I just love really good storytellers. Like Big J. Okerson is a phenomenal storyteller. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. No, they're um, a great series to watch. Is Ari Shafir's This Is Not Happening? Yeah, like you I, can find them all on YouTube. Horrific storytelling shows. Ari Shafir is like Joe Rogan talks about Ari Shafir on nearly every episode or every second episode, saying like he he rates him nearly as the funniest comedian he he knows. Um, he's just not a name I know over here. It's not that I'm into that scene that much, but I don't know if if he's that big over here. But definitely one I need to to check out. Ari's terrific, and he has a, a podcast that I think he may have stopped called Skeptic Tank. Right. He's done it for the past couple of years, and he's got these special episodes that, oh my god, it, oh, another one, Cal Canane. Cal Canane listened to Death of, a Par- uh, yeah, Death of the Party. It's a brilliant album. It's one of the first like stand-up albums that I really got into. Um, but yeah, Ari Shafir. Um, mm. He goes, he, he gets a comic and they go through their first stand-up comedy album from start to finish and they talk about each one of the jokes. So they're like three, four-hour-long podcasts, but they dissect the album and it's so good. Wow. Like if you're like a heavy car- like comedy nerd, oh, it's just a master class. That sounds really interesting. So they go right into the to dissecting the entire show and – Digging into and each joke, yeah. Okay, cool. No, that that sounds really good. And uh, 
Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> one, one to add to my ever ever growing uh, list of books and shows and t- things to to recommend. I know where we are going ridiculously over. Maybe last one or two questions. Uh, advice. What does any piece of advice that you've been given stand out that you've kind of lived by and you could pass forward? Um, I really like the whole. What's it the the whole like teach somebody and like never stop learning and always be That's, teaching I kind of thing it's funny yeah there it's a supposedly winston churchill has says i i yeah I, uh, I hate being taught but i love learning um something like that uh yeah another person that said that i, I really like that one as well because it is a totally different dynamic you're learning kind of on your own interests but when you're in school you're being taught stuff maybe that you just have no interest in so i'm trying to think i i had like a whole list of them on a little post-it note on my computer but I, I think it somehow disappeared. The advice could be to uh, take them off post-it notes and put put don't put things on post-it notes in case they disappear. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's always a great one. No, it's always nice. Anytime like you see something that like really inspires you, like a good like juicy line that's like, oh yeah, I, I get live by that. Uh, I always kind of like bring it around. Yeah, keep it somewhere. Put it in your wallet. Use it or lose it, sort of thing. Uh, Evan, look, it's been really interesting to chat to you. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. How can folks listening get in touch? Check you out on on one of the on many social networks that we can uh, avail of, or yeah. talk talk a little bit about all of that. At Evan Comedy on everything: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. So it's just like just Google at Evan Comedy or my website evandemera.ca. Excellent. And you have a number of, will your shows that you're planning in, uh, would, would they be listed on um, any site for Edinburgh and then Manchester and things like that? Yeah, um, I should update my website shortly, so all the shows should be up there. Um, and if not, just shoot me a message. Just I'm always around to chat. Cool. So what, what date do you start in Edinburgh? Because I, I normally, like when I record this show, which we're doing now, it'll be a couple of weeks normally before it goes up because I have kind of a backlog of stuff, but it'd be nice to put this up around the time of when you're over just so that it's... Uh, it's you know. Yeah, August 3rd. If August. you can get it in before August 3rd, it'd be amazing. Absolutely. No, I'll definitely get it up before August 3rd. and uh, It's August 3rd, 7.45 at the Counting House in the Loft. Thanks, Evan. Have, right. have a good evening. Take care. Thank Take you. care, man. Good night. Hey folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes leave a comment give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days i would really appreciate that if you did it whether it's good or bad i can certainly take that we'll we'll make some improvements as we go and yeah i'll keep it short i hope you enjoyed and i look forward to having you back for some more one percent better podcasts in the future thank you and good luck